Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Okay, we are here on Monday, May 2nd. I hope everyone had a nice weekend. Do you find yourself doom scrolling through Netflix every night, as I often do? Or do you look at HBO Max and say, you know what? This all looks great to me. What is the show that I'm going to commit myself to? It's super hard these days. And it's really gotten harder, I think, in the last year or two because of the volume of scripted premium shows that are out there. Today, we are going to look at that problem and look at perhaps my theory here is that we have reached finally, after all these years, peak TV. And we're going to get into why that is and what's fueling the content surge and what might be a change that is coming very soon. I've got Lucas Shaw here. He's the head of the media group at Bloomberg, and we're going to get into it right now. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw. It's Monday morning, and we are chatting about something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a hot take here, and I'm going to see if you agree, because... I've been talking to a bunch of people in TV the last week, and the thinking is this past weekend may have been the actual peak TV. They've been talking about it for years, that some point there will be a an apex of original scripted TV shows on streaming and on TV. The head of FX has famously been predicting it since 2015. Um, this past year, there were 559 original scripted shows on television and streaming. Uh, that is obviously unsustainable. We saw some corrections this past week or two in the stock market. And the thinking is that the spending on streaming cannot continue at this pace. Um, Lucas, what do you think? Do you think that we have reached peak TV? So I think you're right intellectually that that there is we've sort of we've been in this phase of peak content for many years where the amount of stuff being produced is going up and up and up and because of Netflix slowing down because of you know Wall Street freaking out about streaming a little bit there will be a correction but because everything that you see on screen in Hollywood takes like a a year or two to shift from when it starts to happen in the executive suites I think we'll see it'll probably be in the next it'll continue for the next couple of years and we won't start to feel a shift until 2024 or 2025 because if even if an executive is trying to say oh well maybe we need to slow down right now they're already committed to funding stuff for the next couple of years so there's nothing they can do about it 
That's true, but I'm just looking. And why why did I pick this past weekend? Because this is the time of year where all of these streaming services debut their big prestigious shows, and the goal is to win the attention of Emmy voters to get some attention on these shows. And I mean, I, I just in my casual scrolling this past week, you know, you've got on Hulu, you've got Under the Banner of Heaven, which is the the big John Krakauer adaptation with Andrew Garfield. You've got a new season of Atlanta. You've got the scripted limited series Candy. You flip over to HBO Max. There's a new David Simon show, We Own the City, that isn't even getting that much attention because there's so much stuff. There's new Flight Attendant. There's, you know, all this this um, eight, these HBO, like, movies and, and miniseries that are dropping to get Emmy attention. Apple has Pachinko. Uh, they got an Elizabeth Moss show, Shining Girls. Netflix has a new season of Ozark, Russian Doll. I could go on and on. This is this is unsustainable from an audience perspective. Like you can't even hope to keep up with all these shows. And I'm in a professional TV watcher to a certain extent. I mean, I I can't even imagine someone in the real world trying to like keep current with what's out there. But don't you think, I mean, at least for me, this has been true for years. I mean, I, there was probably. It's worse I, now. It's yeah. worse now. I, I do. I do think it's worse now. I mean, you think it's, you think this is just more of the same? I, you know, I keep a, a running list in a, a notes app on my phone of TV that I want to keep up with that I hear good things about or that I want to watch because I'm not a critic. You know, I feel, I, I feel great. Um great sympathy for my friends who are critics. I mean, it's a fun job, but they have to, they actually have to try to watch everything that's prestige. I so long ago gave up trying to keep up with everything that was out there that I wanted to watch because I just don't have enough time for it. But I keep this list and this list is, is up to like 60, 80 shows. And it just, it, it has compounded every year. Do I think it's worse now? Yeah, probably because you have all of these streaming services trying to get customers, trying to win awards. But I think it's been bad for a long time because, you know, previously you had more money being spent on broadcast and cable shows. The the budgets there have already started to shrink. So it's really just what is being pushed into streaming. And I guess I have a hard time imagining, you know, the, the folks at HBO or the folks at Disney saying, you know, now is the time to pull back. If anything, they might feel like now is the time to press the advantage. I mean, it wasn't, it was probably, what, a year ago when when Disney had that second investor day for Disney Plus, and they started talking about having, you know, we have 15 Marvel shows coming and 15 Star Wars shows coming and all this other stuff. We still haven't seen most of that. So I feel like we're going we're gonna to have our senses assaulted for the foreseeable future. I think that's changing, though. I mean, if you look at the things that the new CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery is saying, I mean, he's openly questioning the marginal value of having 15 great HBO Max shows versus having 10 great HBO Max shows. And I think that conversation is now happening all over Hollywood where people are saying, okay, you know, these are not inexpensive shows. If you look at what you know, Paramount Plus is doing with The Offer or Halo or all these seasons of, of Yellowstone spinoffs. These are not inexpensive endeavors. What is the value that we are getting from all of these shows? Especially since, you know, at that level of volume, the quality is probably going to drop off a little bit. So do you take fewer, better hits uh, better swings and hits, or do you continue with this level of content, hoping that it will deliver a certain percentage of hits and your boat will float? Look, I, I agree with you, both as a consumer and as someone who writes about it. I've never understood why Netflix felt the need to have something new every week or every couple of weeks. Obviously, part of the reason is is the binge model. I don't understand why HBO and Disney feel the need to 
I mean, to always have so much that's new because there's no way that any realistic person could keep up with it. Like it, they were programming as though they were going to be the only service that people had when in fact people have multiple services. I just think it's going to take a little while for all those conversations we're, we're hearing about to really manifest for, for anyone who watches TV. And the other end of this is the consumer. I mean, how many of us have done the 15-minute Netflix doom scroll where you flip it on trying to find something great to watch and all of a sudden you're 10, 15 minutes into your search and you have nothing and you don't know what to watch and you're frustrated. And I know Netflix has taken some, they, they made some product tweaks to try to fix that. Um, so they must know that it's a problem. But I was talking to some very smart TV executives last week who said, whoever figures out the best way to curate in a streaming service and to let people know what is good or what they might like, not just algorithms, not just what you previously watched, but what the buzz is, what's getting great reviews, what is some you know something attached to a brand that you might like, whoever does that the best way is going to win. How do you think these streaming services are doing now? On that front, terribly. I mean, I don't think any of them have a positive user experience to the point that, and I'm very reluctant to draw any broad conclusions from my own experience, but be, because I got so tired of that, I pretty much never go into a service unsure of what I want to watch. I might do that with a if it's like Friday night and I want to watch a movie and I'll stroll around, but I will always have a show that I've decided I want to watch rather than... But you're an educated consumer. Correct. Most people are not. I mean, you know... It, it, it Netflix has this thing where it's like, what show me something or watch something where it'll just randomly scroll based on your previous uh, viewing history. But you know, I I think that these streaming services really need to focus on the brands that exist. I mean, for instance, when I go into Hulu, I know that if I click on the FX tab, that there are probably going to be some shows there that appeal to me because the FX brand means something to me. Same with HBO Max if you go into Cartoon Network or DC. And these brands are much more powerful than the umbrella brand of HBO Max or Hulu or even Netflix. And I think that that the these services need to do a better job of curating based on the brands people know. But do you think... I guess, how would that affect your consumption, right? Because Disney Plus does have those tiles and brands. That's how it's organized. Mm -hmm. Does that make you more likely to go into Disney Plus? I will say something. It makes my kid more likely to go into Disney Plus because he knows that when he clicks on the little light bulb thingy, that that's the Pixar movies and he likes those. Yeah. So... That, I think, does matter in that context. And for adults, I mean, FX is basically the Pixar label for adults. So I know that if I'm going in there and it'll say, like, new show on FX, maybe. And I might click there saying, oh, I like that. That's much more powerful to me than new show on Hulu, which, for the most part, are things that I'm not interested in. Yeah. Look, all the services know that this is a problem. They're working to fix Discovery. I don't think they have a real answer. I mean, all these things that Netflix has done are perfectly nice, but I don't think meaningfully change the experience, at least not from, from my perspective. Um, and, you know, who who thought that we would miss the, the cable guide, which which in a sense I really do, because if you could just give me the option of like scrolling between 15, 15 choices or 20 choices instead of having to, to plumb through catalog and four different bottomless uh, services, I'd, I'd be pretty happy. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a modern version of the old Dire Straits song, you know, 57 channels and nothing on. But it's different now because these streaming services are supermarket brands, so to speak. They are, you know, one-stop shops for everybody other than, you know, rather than the cable bundle where, you know, even if you didn't know anything, you knew if you clicked on AMC that you were probably going to see an old movie or something. If you clicked on ESPN, you knew you had some game or sports center that was on. And that doesn't quite exist in the streaming context yet. They need to figure that out where me as Joe Blow can go on Netflix and say, I am in the mood for X and it's going to show me that or it's going to find an easy path for me to discover that. But does Netflix even have those sub-brands? Uh, no, no, I mean, they, they tried, remember they tried the whole Netflix is a joke, strong black lead, you know, all of these kind of sub brands that they have created, um, you know, via social media to try to appeal to energize segments of their, of their audience. Um, are those meaningful? I don't know. It's not as meaningful as FX to me. I think the, the Netflix is a joke. One is people do still associate Netflix with stand up comedy. Maybe I'm just saying that because I went to two different stand-up shows at their festival that's in LA this week. Um, the other ones, definitely not. And they don't really stand for a type of programming. They're more like, you know, aspirational ideas. Um, but, you know, FX stands for a very specific type of programming. Marvel and, and Pixar, obviously, are specific programming brands. Netflix has just never cultivated those in the same way. Yeah, and I think they should. All right, that is Lucas Shaw. He is the head of the media group at Bloomberg. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks, Matt. I am back. This is the call sheet, my daily prediction. And uh, Craig, we saw last week that James Corden is leaving his perch at the Late Late Show on CBS. What do you think of that? James Corden is super talented, and I like him, and I don't think anybody dislikes him as a host. I just feel like nobody cares about that medium anymore, and he needs to do something else. I get it. He's young. He's only 43. I, I didn't realize he started when he was like 35 years old. Yeah. And he has a lot of other ambitions. He and his partner, Ben Winston, have a very successful production company. They produce things like the Grammys and the Kardashian show on Hulu and the Friends reunion. So they've got a lot of, a lot of other things going on. And he was never supposed to do this you know, forever. Uh, the problem he's had in the movies is that he's signed on to a lot of small roles in movies like The Prom and Cats famously and Into the Woods, but he hasn't been able to do these longer term, you know, major movie shoots or even a television show because he's got that daily talk show. He'll be able to do some other stuff and I'm sure he'll be, you know, he'll sign on to something very soon. Um, this time next year, we will not have the late, late show from James Corden. And the question is, will we have any show at 1230 mm. from CBS? Because my prediction is they're going to go a dramatically different direction from what is currently there. And uh, they'll, they'll either, you know, do some kind of a long interview show, which isn't even in the traditional late night format. They may even, you know, uh, give the time back to the affiliates and do nothing in that time slot where they can put reruns or syndicated shows there. Um, and if they do keep a talk show, it will be something different. They'll have a female host. It won't just be grab another guy and put him in the suit. Someone like Amber Ruffin or Samantha B, even though she's under contract. Or, or they go even younger and they go like get Alex Cooper and do call her daddy late night or something like that. 
They could do that. NBC tried that with Lily Singh, putting her on in the Carson Daly slot, and it didn't really work, and she gave up that show after a couple of years. So, you know, I, I don't know whether they, they want to use that 1230 slot for a YouTuber or a TikToker. I don't deny that it wouldn't work, but I can see them certainly. It seems like something that a, a, like a CBS would try because they think it would work, but nobody who actually likes Alex Cooper or who likes Lily Singh would actually watch it. Or if they do watch it, they'll watch it sliced and diced on TikTok totally. the next day, which may which may be enough. I mean, that may be something that they're interested in. But um, in this landscape, you know, the days of just finding another guy to put in the suit on the, behind the desk, I think, are over. Um, all right, thanks, Craig. That is producer Craig Horlbeck. I want to also thank Lucas Shaw for coming on, as he does every Monday, and I want to thank you for listening. We will see you on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.